the good. The bad. And the remake. Spoilers in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Remake podcast, where we watch some classic films, some not so great, and their respective remakes. Will it be an unmake, an agree make, or amazing? My name's Neil, and these are my co hosts. Hi, I'm Catherine. Hello, I'm Ben. Today, we have episode 22, uh, 310 to Yuma. You'll hear our thoughts on the original, our expectations for the remake, and the all important one thing we will take from the remake into the original. Right, we're on episode 22, guys. 310 to Yuma. There are two trains, but we can only share one synopsis, Ben. Okay. Have you got this one for us this week? I think so. Yeah, I think I've got it covered. Ruthless outlaw Ben Wade has hijacked the Butterfield stagecoach, killing two men in the process. Down on his luck rancher Dan Evans and his sons witnessed the event and are now embroiled in the marshal's efforts to get Wade to the jail at Yuma. As Wade's men hunt to break him free, Wade and Evans enter into a battle of wills. On one hand, monetary reward for setting him free, which would save his farm from drought. And on the other, risking his life and winning back his family's respect by getting Wade safely to the station to board that 310 to Yuma. Do you know what, Ben? I really appreciate your quite short and succinct synopsis because I was having a look at some today and they are pages long. Some of them like, that's not a synopsis. That is just a description of everything that happens in the film. Yeah. So I like your short and snappy synopsis. No, I think it was good. So, Catherine, uh, in terms of the films themselves, do you want to give our listeners the uh, release dates, etc.? Okay, so there's 50 years between these two films, 1957. Which which I think we discussed this, we discussed this offline, but is this our biggest gap? It must be. 50 years. I thought we had one from, that was like 60 years or something. What about um, uh, Miracle on 34th Street? What was that? Yeah, It was the the 1940s. It was sometime in the 1940s. It was 1994, wasn't it? So it could be, could be. Yeah, 50 years, maybe. Yeah. So the original was 1957. The remake was 2007. I struggled with to find a budget for the original, but it took in about 1.8 million, but it was too difficult to find much on that. The remake, 55 million budget and took 71 million. So it didn't really double its money, which is... Worldwide? Because I I thought this was a big hit. I got world... Well, critically, it was really well received, but it didn't didn't double its money, which is the gold standard, isn't it? That's what you're supposed to hit that doubling. Listen, they're the figures I've been, I've been able to find. Yeah, it was so. on IMDb. I've just I've got the page open. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a big yeah, wasn't a big um, wasn't a big smash in terms of the the receipts. No, it di- directed by Delma Daves, the original, and he's most known for this and also for Broken Arrow, which. Is that a remake? No, it's a totally different. It's a totally different film. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but and and mainly other westerns. And the remake was James Mangold. Woo. So, Girl Interrupted, Walk the Line, Copland, 
The Wolverine and Logan, which is, it's, I love that film. It's a great film. Well, this is not a spoiler for the 310 to Yuma remake, which if you didn't guess from the cover art is a Western. Hmm. It's fair to say that he likes a good old Western, doesn't he? Even in his non-Western. Yeah. I would say even Copland, you could say is basically a Western just brought into the modern day. Well, this actually, this film came out in the same year as three other Westerns. Westerns brought into the modern day. Well, apart from the first one, which was The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. But it also came out in the same year as No Country for Old Men Mm. and There Will Be Blood. So it it moved its release date to kind of not get caught up in them all being released at the same time. Ben and I have definitely shared this conversation. It's fair to say that 2007 was a bit of a hammer year. Uh, one of the greatest years in my life, certainly, possibly the greatest year for films in my lifetime. If you told me what came out in 2007, I said, I don't know. Well, you just named three of them. No Country, yeah, Jesse but... James and There'll Be Blood. That's enough. But you've got, what's it called? American Gangster, Once, okay. even like the Bourne Ultimatum, like which was amazing when it came out. We were really, really spoiled in 2007, I think. Just to add to that, you've got Zodiac. Yeah, uh, you've got. I think you've, we probably mentioned. Oh, Juno, pretty special year for big, great films. And Knocked Up, cool. Thank you, Catherine. So, uh, in terms of the films, myself, um, I'd seen neither. Uh, to theme, you know, a few of these uh, more recent episodes where it's going in pretty blind. Uh, of course, um, I was very aware of the uh, of the remake. You know, it's got Christian Bale and uh, Russell Crowe in. Just never, never saw it. I'm not. I know we've covered a couple of westerns in this, um, and I've watched a few westerns uh, recently, but I wouldn't call myself a western fan, so it wouldn't be one I'd immediately kind of turn to it and switch on. And to be honest, didn't even know it was a remake until I started this whole podcast thing off. So um, that is my history. How about you, Catherine? I'd seen the remake a long time ago, probably probably close to when it came out. But I think I, I mentioned it last week that I couldn't really remember what happened. Like I saw another one a similar time, even though it came out before with Russell Crowe and that was a Western. And I kind of mixed them up. Although I don't know how. Now I've seen this, I'm like, I don't know quite how I mix those two films up. Yeah, I hadn't seen the original. And I'm, I'm pretty much the same. I saw the remake probably when it first came to DVD. And I thought I had seen the original until digging out my DVD of it for this and realizing, no, I was thinking of High Noon. So I'm going to dedicate this episode to the person that I got that DVD from because my great aunt Mabel died a few years ago. And when we went to clear out her house, I nicked a bunch of her old Western DVDs, including 310 to Yuma, which I had not bothered watching until this week. There we go. All three of us then going in blind, pretty blind to the original uh, film, having not seen it. Catherine, do you want to kick us off with your thoughts on the original? So as soon as the film started, it just felt like a classic Western to me, recognisable to me as a classic Western, but I don't, I haven't seen that many. And I thought it was a tense film for what could have been quite a boring, got quite a boring premise escorting a man to a train in a different town and that kind of it really you could boil it down to that but i i found it it was a slow burn film but really tense and dan who's he's like the he's the good guy in this who you're supposed to see as the decent guy the guy just trying to keep his family afloat he's not the outlaw i'm not sure he's a hero He's just he's just decent. Yeah. I think he's just a decent sort of working yeah. man, isn't he? Um well again, he's the same as the film. He's I found him a slow burn character. It took a while to get him, to warm to him. But then you, you realise he's just exactly who he's 
first betrayed as just like this decent guy struggling to keep a roof over his family's head, keep his head down, keep out of trouble. Seems quite well, well respected in the town. You know, they, they sort of refer to him as being always the best shot and, you know, when the outlaws come to town. But completely different is Ben Wade. He is so compelling. I liked him immediately, which I think you are supposed to do. He's an interesting bad guy. He's a nice guy. He's a villain, but a sympathetic one. And even a good one. I don't know. He's he's working to some kind of like unwritten code. He won't kill if he doesn't have to. He likes to do things the easy way. I like him. He's polite. He's clean shaven. He's quite cute. He's respectful of, but well, he is. I, I won't have you tell me any different on that. He's respectful of women and men. He's fair. He releases the cattle and the horses back to Dan, pays his daily rate. You know what I mean? He pays his debts. He's just, he's very cool. He's chill, man. You know, he never loses control. Even when it seems that Dan is in control, he's, he's just fine with it all. Go along with it. Yeah, sure. You you take me to Yuma. That's fine. He knows his men are coming for him. And if that doesn't work, no matter. I've got my wiles. I've got my charm. I'll be fine. He's just so cool. But he's also, he's constantly game playing. He's testing Dan and he's testing the other characters and seeing what they're made of. He's, it's like a battle of wills between them in some way. He's, he's looking at who they are and how he can play them to his advantage, what he can get away with. And I feel like actually it's not just, his whole life feels a bit like a game in a way. Well, certainly at this point of his life, he's not trying to get caught. Is it a challenge? Like he sticks around to seduce the barmaid. Doesn't matter if I get caught, you know, I'll escape. And maybe he's got so good at, at this life that he's living that he wants that challenge. He wants to see if he can escape. Well, he knows he can escape, but do you know what I mean? That's he's just not worried about it. And he's like, is he sticking around? Because it's like, well, we'll see what happens. I think he, I think you're right. He sort of has, you know, he he's chosen this path of um, you know, holding up a stagecoach and things, but he's he has complete confidence and faith in his ability and his man to get him out of any kind of sticky situation so and if if his men can't get him out he can just talk his way out of it and that's mm. that's you know he doesn't have to as you say he doesn't, he doesn't turn to violence or or you know unless unless necessary so he sticks around that bar scene because he sticks around doesn't need to seduce the barmaid so, and i think that's the point that's where we're introduced to his charm properly this is how charming he is. Here you go. You should like him. And you do. Well, I did. Um, his seduction of Emmy, like straight away, there's electricity and tension between them immediately. And, you know, he says to his men, oh, I'll catch you up. You know, I've got some business to attend to. And the film definitely makes it known that they've had sex, which I didn't expect from a 1957 film. Well, I, f- I feel like I'm saying this all the time about all of the older films I'm watching. Oh, I didn't expect it from this kind of film. So maybe I just need to readjust my expectations. Emmy has this line, funny. Some men you see every day for 10 years and you never notice. Some men you see once and they're with you for the rest of your life. And that just kind of cements for us what a dude Ben Wade is <laughs> and how impactful he is, you know? I don't know. Ben, That's how you feel about Glenn Ford now, clearly. <laughs> yeah. I think you've got to stop introducing me to all these old guys who are <laughs> oh, who are villains but Ben yeah. yeah Ben is definitely my favorite part of this movie I thought the wife had more agency than could be expected in such an old film like she's quite plucky she's strong she jumps in the wagon and drives out to to go and get him because he's there with violent criminals and she hasn't heard from him that's quite brave and I I thought the upbeat ending of the film fitted Dan got to restore his pride for himself and his you know in the eyes of his family and Ben had decided to do the right thing for Dan 
knowing that everything's going to be okay for him. It's just another game for him, isn't it? It's just another thing he can work to get out of. And we all know that will be okay. And if you've fallen for Ben's charm, then I think I think it's the ending that we all want, really. I like this film. You're saying classic. I think so. Okay. I haven't seen enough Westerns of that era to say, oh, this fits in perfectly with the genre or it is a classic Western, Or, but I very much like this film. Fair enough. I echo a lot of what, what you say there. I think firstly, when we're introduced to to Dan, I think he's with his with his sons, kind of herding the cows, um, and he notices this kind of stagecoach being held up, and it's by Wade and his 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 men. Wade spots Dan and his sons, and you know you you're almost kind of expecting what would normally happen in this situation is Wade and his men would go, "We've got a witness, we need to deal with it," but he just kind of calmly goes over, talks to him, and says, "Look." You can have your cows back. We just need to take your horses and you can pick them up. And as long as you don't tell anyone. Go on, sorry, Ben. Actually, he doesn't. He rides over with, I think it's with Charlie Prince, his number two. And he gets Prince to do the talking for him, doesn't he? He tells him what to say. But it's almost like he's he's above raising his voice to communicate with this guy. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's just very cool and calm and it was a, it's it's a very interesting way to open the film and sets up who wade is then they all go into wade goes back into the uh or gets to the town as you say goes to the bar i love the scene where they all have a shot of whiskey really nice and like they line them up yeah and and it was like it took it took like about a good two minutes to line up all these shots and they all do them together that was cool i think they tell the um the barmaid that there was a robbery and you know the, the rest of the townsfolk. It's not a sheriff. What's what's his um the marshal? Yeah. So the marshal and his men have to go out into the uh into the into the outback to find this Rob stagecoach. <laughs> when they get there, they turn around and say, Yeah, it was the it was Ben Wade and he's basically in your town right now. Maybe get a little bit bit more of this in the in the remake or get into more of this when we discuss the remake. But I think you're right. Dan was just a good honest family man. He kept out of trouble. He kept his nose out of business. He ran his farm he looked after his family. He wasn't interested in because he knew if he took on these bullies or these, you know, it would just end badly for him and his family. So he just said, you know what? I'm just going to get out of the way, let them do their thing. But he's got, I guess, a financial trouble and, and he needs some money. So when he's um, presented with the option to escort Wade to the 310 to Yuma, get him on the train, he does it for, I think it's $200. Um, which I, I have no idea. Did anybody do the math? Like how much? That's probably a lot of money. That's a chunk of change, yeah. Considering yeah. he said he made a dollar a day or something, two dollars a day working, yeah, yeah. hard labor. Two hundred dollars is half a year's salary, basically. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was great then because he does it initially. Initially, he does it for the money. As the film goes on, and a series of different things happen with him, it's extreme to say his family are ashamed of him and that's far far too strong a word but he wants to prove himself as a you know as more than just a family man he wants to do it ultimately becomes the right thing to do he said he was going to do this Wade tries to pay him off and he could have just took the money if it was just about the money he took the money he didn't he goes no I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do because I'm a good honest honorable man and I think Wade kind of respects that and that's how it can when it kind of plays out towards the end because Wade has a, has a moral code, you know, he basically helps Dan get him to the 310 to Yuma. You know, mm. at any point, Wade could have just turned around and, got, you know, shot not shot him, but he could have just not followed Dan, you know, to hide behind this barrel or whatever. You know, he was just like, I need to, Dan, I need to help Dan succeed so he gets his money because I know I can escape anyway. So it's fine. And, and you find that out 
of course, as you get to the end. <laughs> a couple of bits which are a bit, okay, fair enough. Uh, with Charlie, where um, they get to the hotel and there's just a guy with a newspaper fast asleep. Turns out that's one of, one of Wade's men, Charlie. Uh, bit bit convenient. You say it's convenient, but that's the plan. He's he's supposed to be there, isn't he? Because that's the, the yeah. plan that they have. If one of them gets captured. Ah, okay. They, yeah. Did you not get that? Because he says no. we post men in, in every town. Like, we figured out all of your shows. Right. Is that in the remake? Okay. I can't remember now. No, no, that was the... Because that's not what happens in the remake. No, it's not. Okay, so they, basically... They work if we, out any yeah. place that, that they're likely to take that's him right. and they send men. So yeah. that's why he's there. The coincidence oh, so that, is that is that they don't recognise that it's Charlie Prince who they've bumped into before. Yeah, because mm. he's got a newspaper over his head. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing I was going to mention was the the whole scheme to, to trick Wade's men uh, into where Wade is going. They plan it out and they take him to Dan's ranch and they do a switch mm. with uh, with Wade and they swap him. So therefore, Wade's men follow uh, the stagecoach thinking Wade is in it. Uh, but of course, Wade is uh, having dinner uh, at Dan's house. So uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I thought it is a, well, it's more than 50 year old, over 60 years old now. Uh, yeah, probably a bit of a bit of a Western classic. Like I say, I'm not I'm not a big, big Western genre fan, but I, I thought it was very, very good. I think having seen the remake a couple of times before sitting down to see this kind of ruined it for me. I'll absolutely throw my weight behind everything that you're saying about Glenn Ford, Catherine. I think he's incredibly charismatic and certainly arguably the most rounded and interesting character in the whole film. Glenn Ford, to me, will always be Superman's dad. He played Jonathan Kent in the Richard Donner movie. I think the casting of Van Heflin as um, Dan is really interesting because he is in in no world is that guy a movie star. He is so ordinary looking. I'm not saying that he's you know ugly or anything like that, but he certainly doesn't have what you expect of movie star charisma, such as someone like Glenn Ford. And he's a perfect bit of casting to play this character of Dan because Dan's whole thing is no matter how hard he works and no matter how much he tries to impart on his kids and no matter how much he tries to give to give to his wife, he's been hamstrung by just a shitty deal. He's just been dealt a rough hand and there's a drought and it's going to destroy his farm. So he's suffering with this inadequacy all the way through the film. And that's what drives him more than the money. He's quite happily, like you said, take the $200 and just go home, pay off the bank, whatever he needs to do. The whole reason for him being embroiled in this thing is because he's going into Bisbee, the, the nearest town, to ask for a bank loan for $200 to save the farm at his wife's behest. He's too proud to do it, and she talks him into it. So I think like Van Heflin has got the less showy part than Glenn Ford, but he's still doing a really great job in this movie. And they, those two really sat in a room, one of them in handcuffs, the other with a shotgun. That's the best part of the film for me, where they're just talking and you get these little moral quandaries like throughout the film the guy who died his brother has the funeral on the day that the train is going to go to yuma and he goes to the bar in the hotel where they're holding him and he's getting hammered and taking out on butterfield saying like that guy worked for you that guy died for you and you didn't come to his funeral and butterfield's trying to say to him it's a little bit more complex than that when he finds out that wade is in the room upstairs he's ready to go up there and shoot him what he's not willing to do is to risk his own neck to get this guy the justice that he deserves. So there's these little things dotted all the way through the film. 
I think the reason that I came away from it thinking that was good, I enjoyed it, but I didn't come away thinking classic was I thought the second act was really, really short. Not necessarily the second act, but the bit between Dan's homestead and going to contention, the town where the train is going to end up, it just happened too easily. Uh, now, yeah, I agree. Part of that is it's not really what the film's about. It's not an action Western. It's not stagecoach, you know, or something like that. It is predominantly about these ideas that the film wants to talk about. And I think that's a good thing for its place in the canon because most of the Westerns that were coming out in the post-war years before the 60s were just cowboys and Indians, for, for lack of a better term. And this isn't, it's not, it's not an action film at all. It's, it's about these morality things. But the other thing that completely blindsided me was the ending because there is a moment where I was convinced Dan knew that he was going to die. His wife turns back up in contention just before they're going to run to the train. And he's almost hallucinating. He's been locked up in this hot room with a shotgun in his hand and tense for ages. And he starts talking like death is no big deal. A good death is worth it, basically. So I thought, oh, well, this is good. They're setting up the audience for, for what is inevitably going to happen. But he doesn't. Glenn Ford jumps the train with him and kills Charlie Prince. And then he waves at his wife, which was bonkers. And it starts raining. Like, you proved yourself a man. Now here's some manna from heaven. That's really what the ending is. It's God, like, rewarding him. And Glenn Ford, I guess. And that completely blindsided me because I was expecting a bit of a Debbie Downer of an ending. And I didn't get it. Now, that's my problem. I'm not saying that's the film's problem. But I think it had one foot in both stalls for me. It wasn't quite deep and intense enough to, to follow through on some of the ideas that it was introducing around, you know, pride and respect. And Richard Jackal, who plays um, Charlie Prince in this, he's from The Dirty Dozen. When he's talking to the, the, the barman in the hotel when he wakes up, they have a conversation about their wives running away. And he very sort of offhandedly says, I don't know why she doesn't like me. Like, I don't hit her that hard. You know, I'm pretty decent to her. And again, I think you're supposed to sit in judgment of him. I don't think you're supposed to to go along with the moralizing of this man. But it's sort of the same sort of thing that Magnificent Seven did, is starting to introduce these quite ambiguous moral ideas rather than simply there's good and there's bad. Because Van Heflin's character doesn't fit that mold and Glenn Ford's character doesn't fit that mold either. But then there's a bit where the shooting starts and there's a classic old school western stunt when dan shoots the guy on the roof across the road and this yeah. guy does a really dramatic fall off the roof ah, onto another roof rolls onto the road and i thought here we go here we go we're gonna get some rooting tooting and shooting now and it didn't really materialize there was again even at the end very sporadic bursts of action and so i it, it just left me a little bit a little bit unsatisfied in that regard i had to note that it was quite sedate that final sort of action yeah. scene. But you think it was a, I guess, symptomatic maybe of the time it was made in. Could you have had a downer ending? You know, would that have brought the audience in? Don't they want to see the cowboy or, or the, the good honest man succeed? And as you say, um, the act of God. Maybe. Or I mean, an easy cop out. Shane had come out by the time this came out. And spoilers for Shane if you haven't seen it. But that is a very ambiguous ending. And that's a very, very popular film. I think where the filmmaking was leading me down this path, apart from having seen the remake, was making Glenn Ford so incredibly charming. 
and so alluring despite being the antagonist. And then, like I say, that scene of Van Heflin seemingly accepting his fate, I felt like the filmmaking was building me up to something. So it's almost a twist, actually, that you have a happy ending. And again, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just I think I was overthinking it as I was watching it. I really like the fact that it's, it's done and dusted in 90 minutes. And I think if you're, if you're unsure about this kind of film, watching a Western that is not an action film, this is done in an hour and a half. So anyway, as much as uh, I was possibly a little bit disappointed by the lack of action, it still comes in under 90 minutes. I'm not necessarily clear on whether it's a classic or not, but I think the reason that it still is as entertaining as it is after 65 years is it's a good core concept. It's a really neat concept. You understand the geography of everything that's going on. You understand the parties involved and the stakes at all times. And it just plays out. And credit to that has to go to Elmore Leonard, who uh, wrote the story that this is based on. May have even written the script for this. Elmore Leonard, if you're not familiar with him as a writer, you definitely have seen films adapted from his work. Most famous and possibly best of which is Jackie Brown, which is adapted from Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. And he basically started out writing these Penny Westerns and then moved into crime films, crime stories, I should say. So, yeah, it's a it's a good, solid 90 minute Western. Even if you are looking for more action, it's not going to take up a lot of your time. It's a really solid watch. Some good actors. I think I was just a little wrong footed by it. Excellent. Thank you, Ben. So the remake then, as we touched on 50 years later, Catherine, you'd seen this before. What were your thoughts on the remake? I, I like this. I really like this film. Delved far more into the backstories and gave more indications of the motivations for the characters. But it was far more of an action film. And it was the original that's more of a character study. That was slower paced, barely any action. And that whole half of the film is set in the hotel where it's just the two of them, essentially. So I just wondered then, is that maybe a little bit of a failure of the original? And that we do get more backstory. But I didn't think too, too hard about it because I like both of these films. They're just very, very different in tone and content. Like there's low-key humour in the old one. Not in the remake. It's hard and brutal in the remake. More violent, for sure. And it takes itself far more seriously. But I just think there's room for both of them. I, I liked, I really liked this film. It's half an hour longer. I already thought they were stretching, you know, the length of the time in the hotel room and because that was so slow. So I, I wondered, like, how they were going to escalate this one because... That's what they always say. So let me tell you, there's more backstory. There was barn burning and bullying, massive stagecoach robbery where all of the outlaws decide to go up against a Gatling gun. Definitely would have mown them all down in a few seconds, but it's fine. I'll let that pass. They've got a trip through Apache country and a fight with them. Ben murders the professional bully, like the enforcer, the guy who's basically been employed to bully Dan and he's helping to transport Ben. Ben throws another guy off a cliff. After killing all the Apache Indians, Ben escapes to a mine or railroads. I wasn't sure which. I couldn't, I didn't pay too much attention, but he asked shenanigans there. And then our reluctant heroes save and recapture him. And it, there was a lot more going on in this film. So you don't, you don't get those slow, to spend the time where they're talking as much, but you still, I think they still develop those relationships and they, you still do get a lot more of their backstory. See, in this, Dan, I found him more pathetic. Is that mean? I don't know. They fill out his backstory far more. So he's one-legged, having had his leg shot off, and he's in debt, 
and he's borrowed money because the drought has come and he's being forced off his land as the railroads come into town and his family seems to dislike him and you know his youngest son is ill he's got loads going on I don't know if you're supposed to feel sorry for him more, which you do, but just a bit more pathetic. And I didn't, I didn't warm to Christian Bale very much, which I, I think, I don't think that's Christian Bale's fault. I think that was the role he was playing. But, but do I, you think it's fair to say that of a lot of Christian Bale parts? That's the thing. I didn't really yeah. warm to him. Yeah, I, I, I Yeah, I'd say maybe it's the character he chooses to play or maybe it's it's him. I can't think of him being very warm. I think the most no. likable he's been in is American Psycho, <laughs> which says a lot. Does say a lot, yeah. Yeah. Well, I took a while to warm to Russell Crowe too. What? In this film. No, no, let me let me continue. So it just took me a little while, I think. But so the first time you meet him, he's drawing, and I was like, and immediately I was like, oh, that's supposed to indicate that where he's got a softer, more reflective side. You know, he's not an animal. I, I knew what they were doing with that. And I think it was the bar scene. Like, it felt quite rushed in this film, in the remake. It had a completely different feeling. In the old one, it's slow, builds up the tension. And I mentioned the electricity between them. It allows more time for, like, the seduction. And Ben was like, he had his arm on display. But this felt more dangerous, a little bit off. Like, I'd noticed she, she'd barely spoken to him. And he her actually, but she did not look at him once. Through that whole scene, she did not look at him. There was no eye contact before he came up behind her and touched her neck and, you know, pressed himself against her or whatever. And I didn't get any kind of seduction from Russell in that scene. But, I mean, I, de- I definitely later on, as, as the film went on, I was like, oh, there it is, you know. There's my Russell. But in, <laughs> in, the, in the scene with the, I don't know the character's name, but the, the bar lady, the waitress, whatever. It's Emmy in the first one and Emma in, this, in the remake. Isn't the difference that they have a past in this, or is that just it's, his line? Well, it's in the it's in the old one as well. He uses that line about knowing her from. Oh, does he? It's the, yeah, it's exactly the same. Okay. And it could be, and there is some thought online that that is what it is that they do know each other, mm. and maybe it is that, and maybe that's why she doesn't look at him. But I she, just because that's what I thought is that she's trying to not give it away to his men, you know, like that. Right. Basically, I want you to stay, and I want them to fuck off. Well. That puts a whole different read on the situation then. But from, from how I saw it, I just found it a little bit, oh, this isn't as, I, I, I wasn't feeling it quite as much. But, you know, Russell Crowe, Glenn Ford is more charming and boyish. And, you know, we know that he's dangerous, but he doesn't need to act dangerous. And Russell Crowe was, he was dangerous. He was gruff. He was quite menacing. But then he kept having these moments and I was like, oh, I see it. I see it. You, yeah, you I, see it, don't you, Ben? I love Russell Crowe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to reduce him down to his looks, but he's just got such a cute face. <laughs> he has, he has. I mean, that's cute not the is only not thing. a word I would use to associate with Russell Crowe normally, but I'll give you it. No, okay. Well, you should definitely check out Unhinged. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. cute. <laughs> Super cute. I think we've already established I can I can get on board with an older man. I'm getting off track. Um, yeah, cute maybe is not the right word. He's just got a lovely face. Maybe I'll say lovely face. Yeah, the, the hotel scene, the bedroom scene was shorter. You don't have that long time when they're getting to know each other, where Ben Way's trying to convince Dan to let him go. He's testing his resolve to do the right thing. And like they share a backstory or two, and there's, you know, there's a chance for him to sketch Dan and leave it for his son or whatever. But it's all replaced with like extra adventures and violence, which I don't mind at all. It's just like I say, it's a different film. When it came to the end, I still didn't know how I feel about it. I wasn't sure that I bought the fact that Ben killed his whole gang 
he's he, like he spent so long traveling with them there is his guys you know they come to rescue him but i was i was thinking back to his interactions with them and i don't think he's that enamored with them i think he's they're his tools aren't they they rather than his friends that's the feeling i got he feels separate from them when mm. when i was thinking back to it and well he killed he killed one of them doesn't he early on which i don't think happened in the original so in the stagecoach yeah oh, it did, did. Yeah, he shot his own man ah, in the original as well. Okay. It's hard work watching these films back to back. It is, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on, go on, Catherine. Yeah, so like I said, I, I don't think they were his friends. They were, his, like I said, they were his tools that he was using to get done what he wanted to get done. He knew they were animals. And I think he just wanted something a bit more out of his life. He developed this this kind of relationship with Dan. And I'm not even sure if he liked Dan, but the, the, the triangle between him and Dan and Dan's son, it meant something to, to Ben. Because I, I saw, I thought this was an excellent bit of acting, and I don't know how Russell Crowe's face changed when that happened. When, when Dan was shot, I can't tell you how it happened. Like the color drained from his face, it became a different face. Um, I knew what was going to happen, and before he'd even got the gun, I knew what was going to happen. Yes, so at the time I was like, I can't believe they did that. It doesn't make sense. But I thinking back on it all, it, I think it does. Maybe not him killing all his men, but the fact that Dan died. It's far more realistic, I think, for what would have happened. Yeah, so I liked both films. I couldn't really choose between them. If you asked me what I wanted to watch, it would de- it would depend what mood I was in. We're gonna we're gonna ask you to choose between them in a bit. Yeah. Well, you're gonna have to yeah. ra- rank it in yeah. some way. Yeah. Yeah. So when we when we put this on, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of James, James Mangold. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So mm. a big fan of his film. Logan is one probably one of my favourite films. I love. Sorry, it. can I just say I'm a big fan of um. Oh. Not such a big fan. No, so I I love Logan. And uh, you know, when I when I put joined the dots together and I knew he kind of directed this, I was I was even more interested. So as you say, I think they do I think Ben said a few times on a few of the episodes, you know, they they kind of colour in uh some of the gaps and beef up the story a bit. They definitely beef the action up. Like some of the action sequences Mm -hmm. are are really good. You know, the uh, the minigun thing, as you say, that they've got going on. Uh, the whole stagecoach, it's its not, it's an assault more than just a holdup. You know, they literally mm. kind of think it's exploding at times. When they do the bait and switch with uh, with Wade, Charlie hunts down the uh, the stagecoach that the fake Wade is in, just petrols it and, and sets it on fire. The bits in the middle, like Ben said, you know, in the original, they just kind of go from, okay, well, we need to get Wade from, from Dan's house to the train station. He just kind of gets there, whereas in here, they've got a whole thing with the doctor coming along who basically loses his life to, to try and get that you know way to the uh, to the station you get uh, which is referenced then later on i think dan says you know something along the lines of you know well if what did the doctor die for i think um in the original it was the alcoholic guy that he kind of yeah. comments on so yeah i think it, it does it does a lot of those good things well i also like the the change up with the son so his relationship with his sons there's two sons there's an older and a younger one so in the remake the the older son pretty much the opening shot he's got like these kind of cards and i don't know if one of them is wade um oh i didn't spot that right but he's definitely got cards of kind of outlaw cowboy figures you know uh, like we'd collect say football cards or things i'm sure and and he wanted to you know he wanted to have a hero in his life you know and his dad sadly he didn't see his dad as that you know his dad had lost his leg in war which we later found out was actually not through a heroic you know kind of act that he did it was uh it was friendly fire was it I think yeah it was, that, yeah yeah um, and the fire while it. he was retreating 
I think there's a, a a bit where so so when the sun kind of follows along, it's it's the son who holds the gun to Wade. You know, Wade nearly escapes. He's got Dan and the other the doctor and the other guys that are with them kind of held up, and it's his son that comes along and holds the gun against him. And, and at first, kind of Christian Bale or Dan's kind of like going, you know, what the heck are you doing here? You should not be here. And then the other side of the room's going, but thank God you are, because otherwise we'd probably all be dead right about now. So I like that, and I also like that. You know, he didn't just tag along on a ride along. He played a part in the story, and and at the end, he was the one that released the um was it released the cattle, which caused yeah. the distraction yeah. in the kind of final shootout. One of the big differences, of course, is the ending. And my immediate thought was, I preferred the original one, and maybe it was because of that kind of happier ending. And I say the happier ending, but it felt more like how it would all play out. And what I mean is, in this, I get the fact that Dan he gets way to the train station. He's he's ready to board the train with him, but then he gets shot. Uh, and he and he dies. So I, I I kind of get that bit. The bit I don't get is like Catherine's referring to. I don't fully understand why Wade then killed his men. I, I I wasn't sold on that. I understood why he wanted to help Dan, and he wanted Dan to get you know his payday. Um, because again, he knew that if they got him to Yuma, he's escaped from there a couple of times already. He knows he can get out. So why turn on his men? That's the bit that I didn't quite get or quite land. Do you know um, what? Also, though, he would if he hadn't shot his men, he would not have got back on that train. They would not have let him get back on that train. No, that's true. Charlie, shot, Charlie, Charlie shot yeah, yeah. yeah. And he wants to do that for Dan, and for, but more importantly for Dan's son. Well, it's also... Yeah. Dan has uh, made the deal with Butterfield that no matter what happens to me, if Wade ends up on that train, you give my family $1,000, you get water to my farm. Mm -hmm. So Ben knows that he was in the room. So that's the reason that he has to get on the train. It's almost like he's earned it, right? So I can escape from Yuma anyway. I'm not riding off because then his family's fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good a good take. I like what they did with Wade in that you could have just a straight up copy of, of the original Wade um and you know played it similarly, but they, they did about had a bit more kind of a ruthless streak with Russell Crowe. But he still had that little bit of, well I say little bit got a lot of charm, you know, that 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 worked in the role. Uh, Christian Bale, I thought, was a good Dan as well. Again, I guess in some ways he's a bigger actor of his time. And it was nice to see them two kind of both face off and team up. They were adversaries at the start, but by the end, Wade Crow has to help uh, has to help Dan help Wade escape. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was I'm still I'm still torn on the ending. And 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 there was a, the, the very, very end where Wade just casually gets back in his back in his cell and the train drives off and he just whistles. And his horse comes charting down. I was like, okay, D- didn't necessarily need that bit. Tell me you didn't um, think of Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. A hundred percent did. Yeah, because we, we understood, well, at least I understood that, okay, he's done what he thinks is right. He's going to make sure that Dan didn't die for nothing. He died to get the money to save his family. He did a good, honorable thing. Yeah, I thought it was, it was, as I say, there were some lines that were pretty much straight lifted out of the original. The core concept is the ending is different. They fill in a bit of the, the gaps or fill in a bit more beef to the story. Yeah, that's my thoughts on 310 to Yuma, the remake. Yeah. Hmm. It's a really difficult one, this, uh, for all the things that you've mentioned. I think some of the things that are truncated, such as the bar scene with uh, Wade and all of his men, is because... James Mangold knows what we don't, which is that you're going to spend a lot more time with his men. So we don't need to fill out all of their character in this scene because you're going to go on an adventure with them. And that is the big difference is 
the the second act of this film it is a whole adventure that doesn't exist in the the earlier film everything between the homestead and contention is an extra part of the film that has been invented for this as a result i think if you're looking for the action western that i was missing in the original film you definitely get it with this james mangold is such a good director of those kind of scenes because whether you like the characters involved or not you are invested you know who they are he shoots action very cleanly so you always know what's going on and he goes a little bit wild with this like you said you've got the gatling gun you've got peter fonda riding around with a sawn-off shotgun he shoots a guy's dynamite pack on his horse and blows this guy into pieces at one point and then we get that same sort of gag later on when they break wade out from the chinese railroad slash quarry thing it's probably both at once to be honest someone tosses a stick of dynamite i'm pretty sure it's russell crowe and christian bale shoots it and creates a whole cave in so there's real action in this i think the final stretch where they have to make it from the hotel to the train is fantastic like it's a wonderful piece of action i think where it falls down a little bit is that investment in those characters so while all of the action looks great in that in that bit you have a sudden switch on a dime of russell crowe saying okay dan i'm gonna help you now while his own men are shooting at him or trying not to shoot him, trying not to shoot Russell Crowe. And it doesn't quite work because you're being pulled in two different directions at that point. Some of the stuff that does work is there's some really nice dialogue in this. I think Christian Bale's version of Dan is much more desperate than Van Heflin's was because you've got the debt collectors coming for him because that guy Hollander who's torching his land, who he owns money to, even says to him at one point, the railroad's coming, Dan. Your land is worth more with you off it. So it doesn't really matter if you get me the money. It doesn't really matter if I let the water run to your farm. Your history basically and the future's coming there's a wonderful line that bale says to his wife as well where he overtly states not just that he's desperate because of all of everything that's going on his eldest son like i'd say it doesn't just resent him he, he hates him he hates how pathetic and cowardly he is what a shell of a man he is and bale says to gretchen Moll, i'm tired of the way my boys look at me and the way that you don't anymore so his wife, who's suddenly been charmed by Russell Crowe coming into his house, is basically reminding Belle that she doesn't even look at him with love anymore. She sees him as a disappointment. And then he says, I've been standing on one leg for three years asking God for a favor, and he ain't listening. And I think this is where it ties into the original film, because I think the original film does have that sort of lightning bolt from God at the end. And in this, the difference in the hotel scene with the bargaining between Dan and Ben is I got the feeling from watching Christian Bale's face as he's working through the reality of what would happen if he took Ben's money that he's offering him. He doesn't take the offer because he doesn't want to, because I think that he does. He doesn't take it because he can't figure out how to get away with it because that modern world is encroaching, because questions will be asked. And so that final run to the train is all he's got. It's the only thing. He's got a contract now. He's got a contract with Butterfield, witnessed as well. He makes sure that he gets Russell Crowe to say, like, you heard him say it, all of that. And that's going to turn his life around. And the battle of wills between Dan and Ben by bringing in Percy Jackson as uh, his eldest son, Logan Lerman, it becomes a battle for the future of his soul, the eldest son, rather than just Dan having to try and prove himself to everyone. He's also now got to prove 
to his son that the way this man went, the way that Russell Crowe has gone, I, mean, I know it looks cool. I know this guy's shit hot, but it's not going to end well. And standing up for something is is really what it's all about. You've got to, he tries to say to him over and over again, like, when you reach my age, you'll understand why I'm not a piece of shit, basically. At the same time as Dan is made more desperate, I think Ben is made more soulful in that he is into nature and he's into art, which is kind of suggested, I think, in the first film, but it's more overt here. It's interesting that they also made him more vicious. There's a very, I think, shocking scene of violence when he takes down Hollander's man who's been taunting him with, going to hang me in the morning. And in the middle of the night, he's stabbing this guy in the throat over and over again with a fork. Doesn't he throw Peter Fonda off the cliff as well? He does. That's when Logan Lerman shows up. He he insults his mum and he says, (laughs) no matter how how much of a villain a guy is, he'll always love his mum or something. He's a mama's boy. Yeah. Yeah. Except that doesn't really correlate with the story that he later tells where he was five years old and she left him at a train station or something. No, but he hated Peter Fonda anyway. I just yeah. wanted an excuse See, to kill him, I think. You're right. They were they were vicious, but I, I think there are reasons behind them. I think that the guy that he killed with the fork yeah. was a bully. Yeah. And he was bullying Dan. But also Ben was his prisoner and he wasn't treating him. When he was Dan's prisoner in when he went to his home, he said, Okay, you may be a bad guy, I may have you, you know, you're my prisoner, whatever. I'm gonna treat you with respect. I'm gonna feed you. I'll cut your meat up for you, you know, whatever. I'll have you yeah. at my table. Yeah. With this other guy was, I'm gonna keep you awake all night. I've got to be awake while I'm guarding you. I'm gonna keep you awake all night. And it's that kind of I'm not saying it was right, but it wasn't out of the blue, I don't think. There was a cause. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. They have to bring in the opening scene of that guy torching Dan's farm to show what a bastard this guy is so that when he dies you're kind of thinking well i'm glad but without that i think you start looking at russell crowe very differently and i think this becomes a bit of a problem for the film because i do think his turn at the end happens a little too quickly and i agree with both of you i would much rather see him tell charlie prince you're on your own now boys like we're square you know, I, I, I saved you, whatever, when you joined my gang, you saved me, but I am going to Yuma prison. I would rather see that than him gun down his whole crew, which it's cool, you know, and maybe he did it to protect Logan Lerman, or maybe he did it to pay some sort of avenging contract for, for Dan's life, you know, but it's, it is a little too much, I think. It's really strange because as much as having seen this ending, I'm not going to say ruined the the earlier film for me, but it made that ending really stand out to me. I don't really think this ending works either. I don't think either ending quite works. It's it's really difficult because there's so much good stuff in this. I love Russell Crowe. I think he's really good in this. Someone we haven't mentioned, by the way, Ben Foster as Charlie. Yeah, Prince. yeah, yeah. So yeah. fucking good, like just a badass. And I'm really glad that if you're going to pad the film out by half an hour, you give someone like that something to do. He is yeah, a very, very uh, dynamic actor. I like Ben Foster a lot. The whole cast, well, you know, you've got Peter Fonda, Luke Wilson, Alan Tudyk as the doc. I love Alan Tudyk. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's, and it's, you know, a gorgeous looking film as well with great action scenes, really nice dialogue, you know, some interesting ideas. Don't know why it just didn't quite get there for me. You know, maybe the year it came out in. You know, sure. it, 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 what what it's compared against. Yeah, 
is is you know genuine masterpieces i think if, if you know if i'd have seen rocked up in 2007 and gone to see this film i'd have come out of the cinema and gone Do you know what it's a good bit i mean i've been entertained i've seen a good film it hasn't blown my mind i'm not critiquing it i've just had a good time russell crowe shooting some guns christian bale you know it, it's it's a good film but yeah, I think when you when you look back retrospectively and think, okay, there are some issues with it. If you're really critiquing it, I, I agree. Yeah, it's totally just the last five minutes, though, for me. Yeah, everything yeah. before that is super rock solid. I I like the ending you suggested, Ben. But I wonder he knows how evil his crew are and how how much of I keep using the word animals, but but that's what they are. And I wonder if he feared for Ben's family's safety. Because they know where he lives. Not Ben, sorry, Dan. Yeah. But also, but I mean, he had seconds to think about this. Like, you know, it wasn't a long thought process. But also, there's that scene where the deputies basically say, mm. we're out, boys. You know, we're, we're going to lay our guns down. And they still get slaughtered. Yeah. And I wonder if that's not Ben's modus operandi. He's not, I mean, he is more violent in this one, but he I don't think he just does it for the sake of it. And I wonder if that was a bit of a turning point when he yep. said, right, well, with Dan's going to get me to the train, you know? Totally I, fair point. And and you, you're absolutely right. That's that's why that slaughter is there outside the hotel. I, I, you're 100% on that. On paper, that absolutely works. I think in execution, it's still... Because we've all picked up on it. We've all picked mm-hmm. up on that there's something miss at the end right it just doesn't all quite add up the other thing i'd say is the first car of that train is a prison cell essentially there's already a couple of guys on it they haven't locked themselves in there so there must be prisoner guards in that car when all the fucking shooting in the world is happening outside the train including charlie prince and the gang riding up and murdering a man right in front of it what the hell were those guys doing? Those prisoner guards on that train, I don't think we ever see them, but it's fair to assume that they'll be armed, right? It's the old West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should have got involved in the fight and helped Ben, you know, kill his gang. I think it's just the fact that the six men, the six bullets, he takes them all down perfectly. None of them get a shot off on him. It's it's too perfect. And it doesn't ring true when the rest of the film, oh, you're right. Yeah, you've had dynamite and Gatling guns and that, but at least it still sort of lives in a history that we understand. It doesn't live in legend. And then it switches to this, you know, sort of comic book Western just at that moment. Like a, the mythical kind of yeah. um, outlaw. Exactly. And that's the same with him, um, like whistling for his, his horse, you know, that kind of... Yeah. That adds to that sort of, that myth, doesn't it? Yeah. So just before we do move on to the wrap-up, Ben, uh, our Ben, our Ben, you're our Ben, aren't you, Ben Hyten? Thanks, Ben. Thanks for being our Ben. So, uh, so yeah, Ben Foster. So I watched Hell or High Water uh, last year. Love it. Um, And I would highly recommend that film. That See, that is... That's a a modern western. Yes, a modern western, and it is a great film. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and Ben Foster in it is, is incredible. Yeah, he's Um, great. And again, playing similar sort of character to Charlie Prince here, actually like morally very dubious and occasionally violent. I'd also check out a film called Leave No Trace, which came out two or three years ago. He is magnificent in that film. And I think I'd say that was probably my favorite film the year it came out. So that wraps up our discussion on Three Tens of Humour and the remake also Three Tens of Humour. A few kind of stats and facts we've uh, interspersed throughout. But Catherine, what else have you got for our listeners this week? Well, facts and stats. 
Um, got some scores for you. I've already discussed that the remake got very good reviews when it was released. Maybe not showed up as much in the box office, but so it gets 89% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critical consensus and then 86 public. That's, that's pretty good, I think. Rotten Tomatoes for the original was 96% critical consensus and 79 public. And then they both get really similar IMDb scores, 7.6 for the original, 7.7 for the remake. That's high. Uh, yeah. Isn't it? The Rotten Tomatoes consensus for the remake reads The remake of this classic Western improves on the original thanks to fiery performances from Russell Crowe and Christian Bale, as well as sharp direction from James Mangold. And the Sydney Mor- Morning Herald said the film is a credible remake, no better than the original, but different enough to stand on its own considerable merits. Yeah, I agree is, with all of that. Yeah, I kind of, that's where I'm lying, really. It's they're just two different films to compare fairly. You will never guess. You guys will never guess. (laughs) Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, yeah. He was going to play Dan Evans. And when that fell through, it was Russell Crowe. And I can see that working. Dan Evans is the Christian Bale part. Oh, no, no. Yeah, sorry. No, that's because I'm reading something else. He was going to play Ben Wade, the villain. And I can see that. Yeah, quite interesting. Kind of like collateral, but in the Old West. Mm. But I can see that kind of... The charm, like I personally don't find Tom Cruise, he doesn't charm me, but sure. I can see it. I can see it. So, yeah, I would have liked to have seen that, but I'm glad it was Russell Crowe. Yeah, and Eric Banner was supposed to play, I say supposed to play, he was in talks to play the Dan Evans character, which I can see. I like that as well, yeah. He's got a similar vibe, I think, to Christian Bale. I think, yeah, so. Eric Banner would be really good, actually, because I think he's a little bit sort of... Obviously, he's a very manly man, but he's almost got sort of softer features. He's got a bit more, I don't know, vulnerability, I guess, than Christian Bale. And in the original, Glenn Ford was originally offered the role of Dan Evans, like the good guy. Mm. Um, But he refused and said, no, I want to play Ben Wade. You were talking, Ben, about the scene through all the like the construction, the, the town that was like being constructed, you know, right at the very end where they run into the train trying to escape Ben Wade's men in the remake. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a deliberate design choice, but it ended up kind of being one. Basically, they ran out of money for the film, so the town wasn't fully constructed. And they decided to use that as to indicate a town that was, you know, the, the Wild West. It was the West was being built. You know, the railroads would come in. There was the, the gold rush and... Um, mm towns were being built all the time like that so that that's how they kind of they played that but in reality they just run out of money oh yeah okay so if you start watching the movie this is the remake at 19 minutes past one the train on the, in the film will arrive at three ten past three well so in the remake wasn't the train late <laughs> yeah it was yeah but it will still arrive still arrive at three ten in yeah. real time you mentioned that um glenn ford was clark kent's adoptive father jonathan kent in superman or crow was Superman's real father. Jor-El, yes, he Jor-El was. in Man wow. of Steel. I had yeah. not made yeah. that connection. Wow, that's awesome. Wow, 310 to Krypton. The weekend before shooting was scheduled to wrap, there was a freak storm just where they were filming, and it dumped like two feet of snow on. This is a drought-plagued town. Two feet of, sm- of snow fell, and they had to bring in labourers. This is probably why they ran out of money. Um, labourers like to shovel the snow from all the buildings, all the balconies, all the roofs. They had to bring in 89 dump trucks to get rid of the snow and dump dry soil on the ground. And just like just outside where you can see all the shots is this massive like rampart of snow. That was for the 
the last few days of shooting when they did the, the shootout at the end. I didn't notice this personally, but apparently there'll be some shots where there's snow in it. And, you know, if you look out across the town, there's snow there. And then other shots where there's no snow. And then when the train arrives, apparently on one side of it, there's snow. I was going to say, the side in the town. everything behind the train is like a field of snow, I'm sure. And I thought it was a, you know, a stylistic choice of some sort. Just freak weather. Very good. So for our kind of regular wrap up and review We'll start off with our three-word review. So as always, I'll open it to the floor. I always struggle with this. I really do. But it's not maybe specific to the remake, but my three-word review is watch both films. There you yeah, go. No, I, I like Stick that. Three words, it's a review. It's yeah, good. I like that because we've all said that neither the film's really bad. The remake does something different with it. There's a lot more action in it. Ben, do you want to go next? Well, in my continued attempt to get three words onto a movie poster when a film is re-released, I've gone for the very Daily Star-esque bombastic adventure western. Sounds good to me. Now, you might pick me up on a technicality here, but I'm going to say that the second part, and you'll see what I say when I say the review, I'm going to say it's one word. Okay? Oh, God, here we go. So I'm going with Batman versus Robin Hood. <laughs> okay. I mean, it doesn't really tell you anything about your thoughts about no. the film. It's, it's no. just... just just Batman versus Robin Hood. Very good. Um, so we also do need to take one thing from the remake and put it into the original. So again, I'll open it to the to the floor or the Zoom floor. Well, like I say, I'm taking advantage a little bit here. Will you let me have, and if you haven't, I've got backups. Will you let me have, the one thing that I want to take is the second act of the film. So basically everything from Dan's house where they have dinner to getting to contention. Will you let me have that? Yeah, I think that's fine. Because if it's... not, I'd just say the action, because that's really what I'm talking about. <laughs> and if you won't let me have that, I've got another backup, but I'll let you guys talk uh, no, in case. No, I don't I, want to take yours. No, no, that's fine. I think that's, no, I think because we, we, we all said that it, it definitely coloured in the gap in the middle there. Have you got anything, Catherine? Well, I'm battling between being sensible and doing one of my stupid things, but... To Russell Crowe's face. Well, if I could. Well, no, because Glenn's pretty cute too. Yeah, but you could have, you could have cute. both cuties. You could have Glenn Ford versus Russell Crowe. <laughs> cuties. <laughs> I know what I mean by that. That's It's not a, a bad term. I'm going to be sensible. I've got, to, you see, I've got two. I can't decide. I really liked the, the cattle being released by the sun, mm. but you'd have to have someone else do it because I can't take the sun through because that changes the whole film. Well, the wife turned up. You could have her do it. Yep. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with that. I, I just like, I thought it was clever. Yeah. Yeah. Was I cool. it. So I, I toyed with, uh, you mentioned the son. I like, do like that change, but I don't, it would change the original if you, if you did that. Cause I think it changes the tone and meaning behind the film. I also really did quite like Charlie Prince in the original, but I would just like to see Ben Foster in a fifties Western. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd watch that. I just love his voice, like the way he's done like a young version of the classic old cowboy who kind of talks like that, <laughs> but he's done him as a young man. And I, it's so cool. I love it. Uh, so we've got the, the middle part of the film, the second <laughs> act action. The end of the uh, film. We've got the end of the film. And I've got Ben Foster as Charlie Prince. What was, what was your less serious answer, Catherine? Well, it's, it's what I hinted at in the group before the but I, I, I actually feel I give too much 
away of my personal thoughts and feelings on this podcast. So I'm not going to can we talk about can the we dream the, yeah, you that I dream. had about Russell Crowe. So okay, fine, that's enough. Because two thoughts came to me when you said oh, I had a lovely dream or an awesome dream or something after watching the remake, and I thought very nice dream. It, it was either about like living in these beautiful Monument Valley esque environs, or uh, I'm not going to say what my other thought was, but it was. Fuck the scenery, Ben. I'm, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you for uh, for sharing there, guys. I think we've got some interesting sharing a little too much remakes into the original. Um, our final, of course, regular feature is our review score, Ben. Before we all rate this for this remake, uh, remind our listeners of how we do score them. If you think the original is a classic and the remake is not, then unmake it. If you think both are classics or both are equally good, agree, make it. And if you think that the remake takes a minor classic and improves on it, then it is amazing. My answer has changed over the course of this conversation. Okay. Go on, Uh, what were you going to say then? I think my three-word view probably gives a good indication to where I'm going to go with this. And I think it is... Well, I think they're both really good films and a remake doesn't give them enough credit. But I'm going to go a remake. But I do, I do think they're better films than that mix and sound. But I just don't they're think one's better than the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on a remake. I think it's it's not an unmake. It's not a bad film. It's just not a great one. And I think, so I'm asking myself the question, which we do ask ourselves sometimes, if I had a choice to watch one or the other, which would I watch? I think I could watch both, but I'd probably find the second one more entertaining or the remake more entertaining. There's more in it, but I think the first one is very worthy of its uh, Criterion collection. Ben? I was so, so close to, to going remazing, like actually watching the film. I was thinking, yeah, this has taken, you know, a really solid film and it's done all the things I wanted it to do with it. And yet I still came away feeling a little bit empty at the end. And the word that I wrote down on my phone was agreemazing. And I basically said to myself, I would go with <laughs> what you guys said, basically. I know that's a cop out. But actually, as we've been talking, I think it's sort of solidified that when I watched them both, I would have said, give me the choice of watching either now and I'd say the remake. Now I'm sat here and I completely agree with both of you that I would watch one or the other, depending on which, my, which mood I'm in, because they do offer you different things. And if I just want a romping, stomping action film, I'll watch the remake. And if I want something a little bit more low key, then I'll watch the original. So, yeah, it's the remake. A remake. So that wraps up our chat and discussion on Three Tents of Humour. Both films, if, you, if you've got this far and not seen either, you know, you could do a lot worse than watch these films. They're both good, solid films. Perhaps the remake is uh, maybe tainted that little bit by the ending. So we're on to our penultimate film of season two. And this is the bit where these guys look at me and go, which one are we doing again? I can tell you it's not heat yet. Yeah, I know what it is this but week. We'll get to that soon. But we'll be watching the Dutch horror film. Uh, Sporloos, uh, a.k.a. The Vanishing from 1988. And it was Western remade five years later. Not only Western remade, but also by the same director. Uh, and that is The Vanishing in 1993. So uh, just before I ask these guys, you know, their histories with the films, just make sure you don't watch the 2018 version of The Vanishing, because apparently that's a completely different film. That's uh, Gerard Butler, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Is it about a ship vanishing? So yeah, my kind of history with the film is I've seen neither of them. Yeah, that is me. 
Catherine? Uh, my history with the film is that it's on the list of films that we're going to watch. And that is about it. I was aware of The Vanishing when the remake came out and my sister went to see it and came home raving about it. And a couple of years later, Spurlus was on Channel 4 and I was getting into films. And so I'd say I was 14, 15 when I saw it and it blew me away. And then I saw the remake and I had some very strong words from my sister afterwards. I'll just pull you up on one little thing there, Neil. I wouldn't class either of them as horror films. I'd say these are psychological thrillers. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see, you know, George, George, George Sleutzer. Sleutzer. So, yeah, he's clearly made this Dutch film, um, which I'm I'm going to hazard a guess, maybe in 1988. You know, we've all got streaming these days and access to important films. It was perhaps if you knew about Sporloose, you'd, you'd probably seek it out. But it's not the kind of film you'd see rocking up in your local video store. Yeah, genuinely a word of mouth movie. Like it made it over the ocean because people were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, to have not only a Western remake of it, which we've covered uh, a few of these in the past, by the same director. So it'll, yeah. be, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how different or how much the same it is and how perhaps Americanized it is. It's got a good cast, really good cast. Yeah, a few big, few big hitters in there. Yeah. So if you're planning to watch along, then uh, head over to justwatch.com where you'll find where to find these films. Um, word of warning, um, as I've figured this out myself, uh, is that the kind of algorithms behind the scenes that are pulling the data for these films do get a little bit confused. So I've tried to unpick where you can find each film. The original, at the time of, uh, of recording this at least, you can rent from Amazon $1.99. I think you can buy it for $5.99 as well. You can rent it from YouTube and Google Play also at £3.49. I think it's also on Apple, but I couldn't find uh, the price for it. The remake, struggling to find on most digital platforms, so we have to go really quite niche here. Uh, so there's a streaming uh, rental service called Chili, uh, which is probably, I know it's got a smart TV app. I'm sure it's on Roku and your consoles and various different things. Or you can just watch it on your browser if, if needs be. Uh, outside of that, it's going to be have to be a DVD, um, which I, uh, I snapped up a copy from Music Magpie a few weeks back. So, of course, if you're in a different region, justwatch.com, you type in the films, it will tell you where to find them, either to stream, rent or buy. I'm going to also say... It's it's really worth checking out if you've got a local video store or local DVD store because we've got one close to us on the Wirral. We found some good films in there and films that we haven't been able to get elsewhere. Is that that's Snips, isn't it? It is Snips, in, in yeah. Bebbington, and I do think you might find you might be really surprised, and there might still be a video store near you. Fully, yeah. Support and- your local independent DVD store. Why did I all of a sudden have an urge to rent Welcome to Sudden Death? Because it's awesome. <laughs> Which, by the way, on the, the, I don't know if you've seen the picture yet, Ben, but on the DVD cover at the bottom, it says the sequel to the what? Van Damme. Yeah. I mean, where do, you, where do you get sequel from? That's bullshit. I, mean, I thought yeah. you were going to say then, it, on the DVD cover, there's a three-word review attributed to <laughs> Ben from Good Bad Remake. <laughs> So if you are watching and listening along with us, uh, you may want to get in touch. Uh, so Ben, do you want to remind our listeners uh, how they do that? Yeah. If it doesn't offend you, go on Facebook and look for The Good, The Bad and The Remake Movie Podcast. And we're there and you'll find details of what films we're doing week to week uh, and when the episodes are coming out. Similarly, go to Twitter at Good Bad Remake 
And uh, Neil takes care of all of our tweets and he tweets about lots and lots of films, not just the ones that we're watching for this podcast. And if you want to send us some thoughts of your own, go to your email and type in goodbadremake at gmail.com and you can send us suggestions for remakes that we should do in the future. You can tell us trivia. You can correct us where we got it wrong. You can give us three-word reviews. You can say anything you bloody want. Goodbadremake at gmail.com. Super. Thank you. So, uh, yes, um, just leaves me and you to close the podcast. We've done quite well recently to hold it all in. You can see Ben pulling a face there, trying to make me laugh. So, no, thank you for uh, for listening as always. Goodbye, and we look forward to you joining us next week. See you next time. Bye. What do they, they say in the Old West? Like, what's the opposite of howdy? Howdy, partner! No, that's hello, though. Yeah. Goodbye, um... partner! <laughs> <laughs> so long I don't know it's usually just a gunshot isn't it yeah Yeah. just kill each other yeah